current ideas of how it works. And I thought that was very helpful. I thought it was really good. But obviously there's so many details. It was a very good springboard. You have to continue to fill out sort of a broad framework. And then um, if we wanted to do it systematically, it takes so much more time. You can't do it an hour and a half like three times. You have to do it like for a long time. So what I want to do with it, I think, is spend some time in talking about the idea of Mikdash in general, which was mainly what we did today, with a little bit about the Korbanot. Spend some time on the structure of the Mitha Mikdash and some time on the different kinds of Korbanot. Because I think that, to give a framework, yeah. some basic ideas in each area, you can fill out the other ideas in your own learning, or we can, you know, on your own time, like the issue of a guy's like the same, or we can, uh, we can do it in a future series, like... I think that's a good yeah. idea. I think, I think that's a good goal. If it were me, I would say, let's do that, and then kind of just leave room to be able to go into it more thoroughly, like on Zoom, if possible. Yeah, we go into the details, like, look, you can go into one parrot of that stuff, it'll take you three days, I know. but you won't have the big picture. I want to give, I like to give the big picture, and then sort of point in the direction of where the next step would be, yeah, rather than try to fill out all the details, because we'll never get anywhere. And as it is, like, it's not really that we're going in tangents, like... When we're talking about the Korbanot stuff, it wasn't really tangents. Like, the things that I'm trying to do is sort of, we're trying to, like, draw a broad outline of the subject. Yeah. So it's not all concentrated in one spot, what you need for that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, to kind sure. of pick out the key I didn't things. feel like we went on to No, no, I didn't think so in the Korban thing. Can I ask something? Sure. Um, I'm recording, by the way. In the, you're recording us making plans? Mm-hmm. It's going to be the longest shoe on the, on the Dropbox. <laughs> um, Whose fault is that? Not mine. Oh, no? Uh, yeah, no, I, I was the one who said we shouldn't have a schedule, right? Between you and me, it's definitely yours, but I'm not saying it's yours. Um, on the topic of vocational impressions. Is it recorded? Whenever uh, when we read about Akum HaShayichar, does that mean, should we, or do we assume that it was never designated and it's going to be a, like a free-flowing location that would be decided based on the uh, course of human events or is it a place that was you know designated those coordinates were were picked way way in advance no we talked about it this morning right yeah the Ram, the Rambam said that the Masorah that they always knew where it was he said that from the time of Avram Ravina they knew where it was just yeah they, they hid it because they didn't want the uh non-Jews to take it or destroy it or for the Shvatim to argue over who was going to get it. So they tried, so they kept it hidden but really from the times of Aram Avinu you see it was already designated to be the Haram Moriah was already known to be the location. Just that the average person didn't know where that was. The only other uh, like reference point that's kept vague in advance is El Ahar Tashara Right. Could be for a similar reasoning. Oh, that's interesting. Why would that, how would that connect? Just because they're the only two, to my knowledge, uh, locales, locations, where they're referenced in, in general terms, but not given specific coordinates for some reason. So what other... In what the case, be, but one is talking about Avraham Avinu, right? As an one is talking about Avraham Avinu, yeah. right? Yeah, so it wasn't really that long before he found out what the was. In the case of Avraham Avinu, like the Chazal say... The reason was because he didn't want Avraham Avinu to go because it was a good land. 
Meaning, if you're, if you're going, if you're leaving a bad place to go to a good place. That makes sense. Then you're not doing it because you want to go to the play. He said, I'm going to carry God. But then they couldn't have told him that because they would clearly have gone to Lishma. Why do you think I push on the So if you. Not saying carry God. Yeah, exactly. Is that the protest? If you. If you. Like what would allow a person to make sometimes a difficult sacrifice is because they envision the benefits of the destination for themselves. So they're able, because they're imagining what it's going to be like, so that's what allows them to get over the resistances to making a, a major sacrifice. But if you're, Hashem didn't intend for Abraham to choose Eretz Yisrael because, oh, it's a nice area, it's a nice land. He wanted Abraham to choose it because it's the place that God chose, that he's willing to follow the will of God and not be, the idea. In other words, the difference is that when you're dealing with when you're looking at it concretely, when you concretize it, you're attracted to the material benefits of the place. When it's, a, when it's an idea, the place that, so you're really just doing what God wills. You're not attaching yourself to the particular. So like, it's like, you know, in Balot Tcha, where it describes the moving of the camp. It says, you know, there were some cases where they were in a place for one night, and there were some places where they were for only for two days, and sometimes for months, right? And then al piyashem and so the Sephorno says, you know, sometimes it would have, be in a very nice place, and they would have to go to a worse place. Sometimes it'd be in a worse place; they'd have, they would go to a nice place, you know. Um, and so the point was al piyashem They didn't determine what the pla- you know, they didn't attach themselves to the place. They didn't choose the place based on its material, what what it offered materially. It was it was al piyashem. And so that idea is, is why Hashem didn't want Abraham Avinu to, uh, atta- he didn't want to attach himself to the, a particular land. Because that would mean, maybe he went because Eretz Israel is nice. Who, made, who, who did something similar is, is the Meraglim. Because Moshe Rabbeinu told the Meraglim, oh, bring some of the fruits of the land. And that was actually not a good idea. Because what was he trying to do? He said, oh, they're afraid of going into the land, but if they see the fruits of the land, they'll want to go. But that's not really the reason to want to go. Right? Right. The reason is because Hashem told him to go. Right? But he wanted to, he thought he could overcome their emotional resistance by using a different emotion. Right? Oh, and the emotional resistance to going, yeah, but look at the, look at what you're going to get, the fruits. And it's, like, oh, it's basically, wow. you do that today also with Israel. I'm yeah. right, right now, like, it's a, the, Look how good climate yeah. is. And also, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's no, true. There, there is that. No, no. So what we'll do actually is, so we'll do two things. Either we'll say America is really bad. Or we'll say, oh, look how good Israel is. Look how beautiful, really, look at how beautiful it is. But really, neither, neither is correct. Meaning, neither reason is good to go. Not, so that's not the reason. That's the reason is because it's, uh, it's, because it's Eretz Israel. Yeah. That's it. And all the time, all jokes aside, whenever he comes back to America and he starts pitching, he never talks about the, he doesn't tout Eretz Yisrael as being a great place, but easy to live in, just the right thing to do. Yeah, it's also nice. I hope we'll talk America, yeah, pretty bad. America's yeah. <laughs> well, America pretty America. easy with that. Hmm? Yeah, America's pretty easy with that. Uh, question? So yes, it's a two-second question. Uh, uh, at any point in Jewish <clears> history, <throat> were single Jewish women keeping the laws of the, these laws of the media? Yeah, of course, yeah, for sure. They did. In times of Beit Hamikdash, they had to. 
For Tarot, they had to. That's an easy question. There's no reason to keep it except for marital reasons. We don't keep any laws of Tumavatara nowadays except for that. I mean, if, if a woman would, was promiscuous or the minority of women that would be sexually active before marriage would be a tarot issue. This was a big debate that you know, the rabbis have had for many, many years. Like, what to do about that? Is it better to tell people, well, go to the mikveh, so at least it's not Isor Karet if you're choosing to do that? Right, or if, or is it better to say no? You can't if you're single because that'll deter them from, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because they'll be afraid. To make to be meaning, meaning, if you t- right, if you tell them, oh, but go to the mikveh if you're going to have an illicit relationship. So then you're basically opening the door to it. Or do you say no? It's better to tell them go to the mikveh because if they're going to do that anyway, it's a, it, there are a lot of questions like that. I mean, it's it's a it's a judgment call. What you know, if you give a person a legitimate way of doing something, are you inviting them to do it, or are you preventing them from doing a worse thing? It's it's uh, it's See, a, learned, a learned guy you, take advantage of it. It's like, oh, okay, you want, of, I want to sleep with you. You go to the mikveh. Yeah, it could happen. But does it help if a girl that's single goes to the mikveh? It's it's, low, it's not any sort of karet anymore. Yeah. The trick is she can't just go to the mikvah. She would obviously have to like beach. observe the, you know, be allowed to go to the mikvah according to the halacha. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but she has to do all the things beforehand. Right, it's assuming that she was that serious yeah. that she decided to do that. But you know, it's uh, it's a good question. It's a judgment call. It's more of a judgment call than a halachic the, question. The truth Halachically, is, obviously, it's better. It was a historical question. I don't know if Historically, women definitely went to the mikveh because of tarot. What are those rules called in the central board when someone asks a second question before someone asks the first question? Oh, what is the, the rules the, of order? The, it's called the uh, Robert's rules Robert. of order. So you can't ask a second question. What do you mean? I was on a board. You know how many board meetings I've been on? I've been on so many. <laughs> Well, I was always I was always on the board you in, ask if you in my shul in Maryland. I was oh, I had to sit on the board. <laughs> really? So boring. But yes. Uh-huh. Raise yeah. your hand now. Raise your hand. Next question. <laughs> they had. To, <laughs> You've so asked two already, so you, you were, can't ask if, until everyone asks the second. If you were constructing it from from the beginning, this is your second. What do you leave? What do you leave it in? Meaning, maybe you would say maybe it would be best because how many how many girls. That are sexually active before marriage actually know that it's isur karet because they didn't go to the mikveh. I don't think that's such a high population of like that they actually thought about it enough to say like, oh, it's isur karet, but I'm still gonna do that. So you might as well sleep with an anju, right? No, no, hang on, that's not that's not true. I'm asking. So, is, is it not isur karet with an anju? I, I'm not. Isur karet midivrei nivim. <laughs> so, wouldn't it be best to have left the mikveh aspect alone? And even though we would say that they're they're not chayav um, in um, in like tarot stuff, but just leave that as minhag. Just don't speak about it. What minhag? You know, I'm saying that, that girls go to the mikveh. Uh, maybe it's a better minhag not to have sexual relations before. Yeah, yeah but the problem is that minhag hasn't caught. We already have it. It was for a long time. Uh, I'm very, saying very the, the, sad, the very unfortunate truth is that that's not the case right now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's sad. It's horrible. I'm saying, wouldn't it, have been, wouldn't it have been better to leave, to just not speak about it and leave it, leave it where it was? And still, I think they, still it's I not, think it's not like that. It's just that in... As soon as the second Beit HaMikdash was destroyed, first of all, in Bavel, I don't think they were ever doing it. 
for, for Tarot, obviously they didn't have Tarot, they were just doing it for marital reasons. Mm-hmm. And after the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed, whoever was living in Israel didn't observe Tumah Torah at all because there was no Tarot and only for marital reasons. So it's not like it was ever a Minhag for 2,000 years for unmarried women to go to Mikvah. Well, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. So uh, they didn't have the Cheshbon of, oh, maybe there's going to be girls sleeping around. First of all, they got married at the age of 12. Right. And so they, they didn't really have that issue. So it's not like it was ever really a minhag. It wouldn't have been impractical. It would have to be a new thing to innovate it. Right. Are we missing that the point? That's the issue. What, what is karet? I mean, are we missing the point? The point of karet, like, you've essentially taken yourself out of Am Yisrael by doing this, having promiscuous relationships, right? I think that's what karet is. It, it, what is karet? Is it you die young? Is it that you die childless? Is it that, or is it that essentially you're cutting yourself off from Pali Yisrael? Isn't that what Karet Those is? All it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but that, doesn't that want to make the most sense? Rather than yeah, you... Like, like, if you look at all the mitzvot that carry with the punishment of Karet, they're all fun, like that's like fundamental common. foundational mitzvot. Right? Like not pouring a brit milah on your son and, or chametz on Pesach or... Or you don't get credit for not performing it on your son. The son he gets, himself he gets, gets it when he gets older. When he doesn't, get, when he doesn't do it. Oh, I didn't realize that. Is it? Is that, yeah? It's yeah. the same idea, though. It's, it's still fundamental. So Karet is essentially saying you're, you've cut yourself off. Some of them are harder to, to, uh, to see it than others, but yeah, mostly that's true. Eating chelev or something, I don't know. There's some that are kind of like not so clear why they're fundamental. Uh-huh. But okay, but, but in general that's true. So, 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 in, so, so Karet so is you're cutting yourself off. The shot of the, of the, of, of the psukim is v'nichreta anefesh me'ameha. So that, but what is the, but the, the way that the Rambam at least explains karet, and, and the Gemara assumes karet is worse than mitabi deshamayim. No. Always. Mitabi deshamayim is less than karet. The Rambam says because it's losing your chilek and olam haba. So I assume that he connects. I, I never saw him explicitly say this, but I assume it's because he connects. Kol Yisrael yishlech chilek l'olam haba. And this person is menichreta. Right, so he's not part of Kol Yisrael anymore. So he's not in Lochelek Lolam Abba. That's why he right. sees the identity of those two concepts. In other words, if, if you're, you exclude yourself from Ami, what is the Zechut that gives you Olam Abba, the identification with Ami Israel, really with the, with the fundamental tenets of Judaism and with Ami Israel, and an action that separates you from Kali Israel also causes you to lose that Zechut. Mm-hmm. So asking a girl to grow the mikvah early, you're, you're, you're missing the whole idea of it. The idea of it is, is not the, the, the technical aspect of her okay. being a whore. Yeah. It's not being promiscuous. You're assuming, you're assuming that that's the reason why Nida brings Kareta, because it has to do with promiscuity, maybe not. Mm. You right. know? Meaning yeah. Nida is something else. Nida is about, it is about something else. It's, uh, it's, not only about, it's not only about limiting sexual activity. There's other ideas too. Yeah, can I collaborate? That's a good phrase. In general, um, the idea of Tuman Tara, which would take a really long time to, to get into, that we did a shiur on Tuman Tara in, uh, in the Moran Vuchim series. Just summarize that in like 60 seconds. No, in, in, in the Moreda Bochim series, the Tumah V'tara Shior was probably like, it's like a must listen to because it really like goes through the basic ideas of Tumah V'tara in a lot of, in a lot of detail. It's less a Moreda Bochim Shior and it's more like a Rambam's Shita about Tumah V'tara Shior, but it's, it's, it's really worth listening to. But I think I might probably mention, it was a few years ago, 
but I probably mentioned in passing in that that uh, among among other things, like the Rambam says that that he has like very strong emphasis on tumah on the importance of learning tumah v'tara in the beginning of Seder Tarot in the Mishnah, and he says that a person who knows the laws of Tumah Vatara, it's a, it's a, uh, uh, the, it's the uh, preface to Ruach HaKodesh. Like, understanding the halachot of Tumah Vatara is the entry into, into the level of Ruach HaKodesh. Because it's so deep. Not keeping? Okay? No, he's talking about the learning of it. And he also says that don't think when you're learning Tumah Vatara that you're learning like Hilchot uh, Lulav. It's way deeper. It's a profound area of Torah that even the Nevi'im had difficulty understanding the concept of Tumah Vatara. And I talked about it in that shiur and I explained like, basically why, why it's so fundamental. But the, the, part of the idea is... Um, part of the idea in the case of Nida is that a lot of the... Uh, a lot of the... Let's say in Kashrut, for example, you also have the nomenclature of food that's not kosher being tamay, food that's kosher being called tawr. Why is that? What's the reason? I think I've explained it before. What does tumah v'tara mean? It's not available to me. Right? That's what something is tumah. Well, something tamay could be available to you. No. But tumah v'tara is always really with reference to the Beit HaMikdash in the Torah. Right? It's really, like you're allowed to be tamay. Yeah. Right? You're allowed to be as tamay as you want. But you're not allowed to do certain things in your time, eh? like going to the Beit HaMikdash. So really, Tahor means something that is fit for use in Abu Dhat Hashem. It's fit for, for, for use in the Beit HaMikdash. And a Tameh thing is something excluded from Beit HaMikdash. Something that is unfit for use in Beit HaMikdash. So why would that apply to our food? Why would that apply to Kashrut? Because we're Mamlechet Kohanim Vigoy Kadosh. The eating that you do has to be fit for Avodat Hashem. Even though it's not the same standard as Beit HaMikdash, but by using that terminology with reference to our food, it's conveying the idea that we should realize when we're eating and drinking, like the Rambam says in Hilchot Eot, somebody mentioned it the other day, the Rambam mentions in Hilchot Eot when a, a, a person who is doing everything L'Shem Shamayim, even when he's eating, drinking, sleeping, having marital relations, whatever he's doing, it's instrumental to his Avodat Hashem. Okay? So in the, in the realm of food, Tumah V'tara means that. And in the case of Nida, in addition to, which I think is also true, just like in Kashrut, part of the idea of Kashrut is to limit your eating. Meaning is to teach you that eating is not the end of life. So there's anything there's a limit on in Torah means it's not an end in itself. Talmud Torah, infinite. Chesed, infinite. Right? But other things are not infinite. Because there's a limit to, it plays a role, but it's not the end all of things. It's not, it's not, there's a, there is a, uh, it has a, it has its place within, you know, within a certain framework, but it's not endless. And so eating has to be limited. Sexual activity has to be limited. That's that part of the benefit of Nida is that there's on off. So you have limits. That limit is called Kiddushah. You transcend the instinctual desire by, uh, by, uh, you know, limiting it, by, you know, having to assert your control over yourself and, and rising above the instinctual desire in the areas of food and sexuality. Food is what sustains the physical body and sexuality is an even stronger instinct. Like I mentioned the other day, sexuality is an even stronger instinct because it contradicts our natural desire because why would you want to have kids? 
Meaning like, it's a, it's, it, the reason why the sexual desire is so strong is because reproducing is actually a disadvantage to the person practically because it creates more responsibilities and stress on the system and so on. So the, the, the sexual desire serves the species. The, the, the desire for food serves the individual. You know? so, uh, so in order to make somebody think about the benefit of the species, either they have to be a really great philosopher or they have to have a really strong instinctual drive. So God opted for the second one since otherwise there wouldn't be a lot of human beings around. Um, in, in the case of the, uh, so in the case of Nida, I think the same dichotomy applies. There's a limit in sexuality, just like there's a limit in food. There's also the idea that the sexual relationship is a vehicle of Avodat Hashem. My, my relationship with my partner is also part of my Avodat Hashem. When, just like the Rambam says, when you're engaged in sexual relations, if you're doing it the Shem Shemaim, whatever that means in your particular context, and it could mean multiple things it's a part of your Avodat Hashem as well. So that's what Torah means, being Torah. So, it, so the Nida element could be because having relations with the Nida is excess of sexuality. That's the assumption that you, that was the premise of your question. But it also could be because you're separating sexuality from Avodat Hashem. And that would imply that there's a that there's a good in the phys- physical existence of, uh, in my physical existence and satisfaction of my drives that is unrelated, totally unrelated, totally disconnected from any higher purpose. It's all, and, and that's why it's so bad. You know, in which case that would be a different reason for why Nida would be karet. Because you're giving intrinsic significance to uh, sexuality instead of recognizing that for it to be meaningful, it has to be part of my, my life as an evidence. You know, so that so in, so that would be a different that would be a different reason. So a lot to unpack. Can I ask my first question? I don't know. I don't know what time it is. I don't, I don't want to make sure everyone keeps track. Oh, we have another twenty minutes. Okay, go ahead. Oh, oh, who's who's next? I have a lot of questions, but mine are going to be like Tanakh related. So it's like, Ariel's leaving tomorrow night, so he should be able to ask. You know. Uh, Ariel, Ariel has enough uh, time to ask you questions. Well, he had a whole yeah. day. That's true. I'm not sure if that's true. Um, my question is about Yehuda and Yosef, right? There's like this two different. I don't know how to ask the question. I don't even know what my question is. Yeah, but like you see Yehuda and Yosef constantly come up throughout Tanakh, mm-hmm. and there's like two aspects of leadership or two different kinds of leadership, and I struggle to think which one is ideal. So we're trained to think that the Yehuda. Uh, leadership role is the ideal leader, mm. but I, I can't, I I can't get over the fact that I think Yosef is a better leader. Yeah, why? I'm interested. Why? Um, he seems. To, I'm not saying that. He seems to be planned out better. Doesn't act instinctually. But not only that. Not, not only the beginning. Not only Yosef. Like go throughout, throughout the rest of Tanakh. Like Ephraim seems to be a, a leadership in a leadership role also. Um, as is other kids of Rachel, like it's not it's it's not so clear that Yehuda is the right choice all the time. Like throughout the book of Shoftim, Ephraim constantly wants to be involved in the battles. Also, sometimes left out, and they get frustrated when they're left out. Um, and then they get into civil wars. And they get into civil wars. Yeah, yeah. But is it so clear that Yehuda is like so, so far and away better than than? than like, and then if that's the case, then why is the majority of the book of Malachim focused on? The, the ten tribes and not Yehuda. Uh, they made more trouble. Is that why? I, I think that, I think it's, um, 
it seems, and I never really thought about it, so I don't want to, I don't want to say anything definitive. I, I never really thought about it, but the leaders from Yosef, even starting with Yosef, seem like transitional leaders. And they don't seem to be long-term leaders. They seem like leaders that rise to an occasion, but then kind of pass the baton on to someone else. And like Yosef is a great interim leader of the Galut in Mitzrayim. Or, or Yoshua is a great transitional leader in bringing the Jews into Eretz Israel. It seems like they, they're great leaders in a sort of, um, in, in a specific, with a specific mission, but in terms of the stability, because you see that, like, even in the Chazal's idea, those, not everybody agrees with it, but the idea of, like, Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David, that Mashiach ben Yosef is going to sort of pave the way for Mashiach ben David. They serve a kind of a, 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 an interim transitional role. There is, there's a need for that. There's a need for those major transitions to take place. The transition of the Jews into Egypt, the transition from Midbar into Eretz Israel, and, other, and during the Shoftim, it's a total chaos, so it's hard to say, but even the idea of Malchut, uh, the Malchut of the North, and the, you know, the Northern Kingdom, Southern Kingdom, the vision, even Yerov Am ben Nevat asks, you know, in the Midrash, you know, who's going to be first? David, I'll forget. Right? The idea being that even that concept is going to be subordinate under ultimately only really be a, uh, a transitional phase that will resolve itself in Davidic kingship really being primary. So it's a, it, it seems like there's a sense that Yehuda leadership, whatever, whatever would character, characterize the Yehuda leadership, is a stable long-term form of leadership. And Yosef, why? I, 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 I don't know for sure, but I, I would guess, I would guess that what you see in Yehuda, even though I also tend to like see Yosef as well, you know, he's... He grows, he grows. Yeah, he has arc. Because in his early days, what is Yosef's real problem? Yosef is a person that doesn't know when to stop talking. Meaning, Yosef is the, is the, is the, puts his foot in his mouth again and again. Every time Yosef just, if he didn't talk, he would have, he would have been fine. It's like Trump. Like if he, yeah. <laughs> Except he's smart. Yeah. And he's not a Jew. Yeah. Sometimes he yeah, maybe was, but... Um, but when, when, when Yosef, let's say, had his dreams, if he simply didn't say anything about the dreams, he never would have had a problem. Why is he going telling his brothers that already hate him about the dreams about how they're going to bow to him? That's not smart. Why did he do that? And then he goes to Pot- and the, the famous one that I always like to point out is he goes to Potiphar's wife and he doesn't know how to let somebody down easy. Right? If a girl asks you out and you're not interested, you say, oh, you know, I'm not it's good not, enough for you. Me. I'm so lowly. I'm, I'm not, I don't deserve you. He says, I'm so great. Every, all of, everything in this house is in my control and you're the only thing I can have. Think I'm going to throw all of this away for you? That's not how you... And then even with the Sarah Mashkim and the Sarah Aufim, Chazal say the fact that afterwards he had to add on please, you know, get me out of here. I, don't, I shouldn't be here. It actually ruined everything because if he had not said anything, he would have really impressed the Sarah Mashkim and he would have remembered him. But because he looked desperate, he's like, oh, please, I'm innocent. When he comes to Paro, he learns 
Right. Elohim Yanet Shalom Paro. He answers Paro. Giving him the suggestion of what to do is part of the interpretation of the, of the dream. He has to do that. But that's it. And so he definitely grows in that way. And he becomes more savvy, more politically savvy. In the case of Yehuda, though, we see an interesting thing. Yehuda is able to self-correct. He does it more than once. He first wants to kill Yosef, and then he says, You know what? Here's a better plan. Let's on. And then with Tamar, he also self-corrects. He admits wrongdoing, he self-corrects. When it comes to going to save Shimon and bring Binyamin, he's very smart. He waits until his father doesn't have any food left. And then he says, I'll take responsibility on myself to handle the situation. Right? And then finally, being willing to give himself up as a slave for the sake of fulfilling his responsibilities to his father. So he's a person who is... um, I'm not saying Yosef isn't, because there's no indication that Yosef at the end is like a big ego. He doesn't... You know, you can't say that, but... He does say like... um like, tell my father about my... I have great code, right? So they say that that's saying that... Yeah, I mean, you can read it in many ways. Look, look the only person you're allowed to tell about your great code is your mom and yeah, dad, because they're always very proud of you. Yeah. you know, it's nachat, right? So it's, it's okay. But uh, I, so I can't... I don't want to... Like, that's such a lumbus out of that story kind of thing. Yeah, I don't want to diss, you know, Yosef on that particular thing, telling his dad, you know? But, but in Yehuda, you definitely see a, a certain humility... And a commitment, what's the real thing? A commitment to something higher than the self. Because in, whether, it's the situ, whether it is compassion for his brother, whether it is justice in the case of Tamar, whether it is fulfilling his responsibility to his father in the case of you know, becoming slave. So that ability to subordinate oneself to a higher principle is something you really see in Yehuda again and again. And that's really what David is. If you think about David, except for the case of Bathsheba, which is the one case where he messed up. In every case, anybody, even people who did unethical things on his behalf, he punished them. He didn't accept it. He never took advantage of his position for personal gain, leaving the one side, the time aside that he did. Meaning, that was the great, he, oh, he, and even in how he dealt with Shaul, I'm not going to touch the Mashiach Hashem. Yeah. Right? They're, they're, there are things higher than my own, there are principles higher than my own interest. Yeah. But you could also say that those are strategic moves, though. No, Shimi Ben Gera, for sure. Thing, the whole thing is like, he doesn't want to set no, Shimi Ben Gera is setting precedence. Yeah. That's the truth. He, he, he knows that he's setting up the system of Malchut Yisrael and he wants to start off. Well, to be done right. But that itself That's is strategic. a sense of responsibility yeah. also to something higher. He's a great leader. He's a you see that in the case. That's different than Yosef who's kind of thrust into a position as a second in command to Paro. And of course he's a brilliant guy. But if you notice, Yosef is never the ultimate leader actually. He's never that. the ultimate leader. Yeah, right? He's the, he's the head of the house of Potiphar, but he's in under a, Potiphar. In an interim state. Right. In an interim, even in Egypt to be fair. Right. He's, a, he's the head of... He's the head of, uh, yeah. of the jail he's under the jail. He's the head of, of Egypt under Paro. Yoshua wow. even. What is Yoshua? Yoshua is the successor of Moshe. He's Misharet Moshe. He's, finished. he's basically the relief pitcher. He's closing out the game for Moshe. Not really. He's, he's coming in to close the game. 
Transitions are important. But really, he wouldn't have even. What is what is the what is what does Rashi say? What does Rashi say? What does Rashi say? Moshe Avdimet, right? And on Moshe Avdimet, that he brings the Chazal. If you were alive, I wouldn't need you. Right? I'm only taking him because Moshe Avdimet. So meaning Yeshua's function is. Only transitional and only secondary. Yeah. Not that Yoshua wasn't. Great. I can't even think I mean, of a, like being they're, the backup they're, to Moshe. Like, right, it's not a bad. It's, not, yeah. it's like he has a fair. He's one of the least. Um, meaning, he's one of the characters that the, is least criticized in the in the Tanakh. Yeah, there was wrong. Right, really, the only chataimi that is with Ha'ai, like uh-huh. the Battle of Ai. and they say that he dragged out the kibush. Even if it doesn't say that in the text. But, uh, no, but the Midrash said that he dragged out the kibush again so he wouldn't he die. He didn't get rid of everyone. Well, right, that I'm not the, sure. The, the, that might have been other factors. Yeah, yeah there might have been other factors. But, but he definitely dragged it out, according to the Chazal, because he didn't want to die. Because he knew that, that once his career was over. That, that, that. So, you know, but that's, that's a minor, that's a minor thing. Right. So he, he was... But again, you when you're in a position though. of transition, I mean, the greater the responsibility, the greater the, uh, the, the, the possibility for chet. You know, when Moshe Rabbeinu had to wander around with the Jewish people for 40 years and he loses his temper, who wouldn't? You know? Uh-huh. Like, I once heard a preacher, a Christian preacher, say what, what could have been construed as a very anti-Semitic thing. They were saying, Moses wandered around for 40 years in the desert with a bunch of complaining Jews. Of course he got angry. <laughs> yeah? Nagging but it's so true. Yeah. You've got to have some sympathy for him. Complaining the Jews. Yeah, the It could be true and still be anti-Semitic. Yeah. <laughs> she might have been anti-Semitic. The point is true. I mean, the... Mashiach ben Yusuf, Mashiach ben David. I never understood... The idea is that there are two bichorot. I never heard that one. That's new to me. What second kohen gadol? Why? Where did you hear that one? Where's the second kohen gadol? The the um, I'm not sure about the thing about Yehudan Yosef because I just I'm just saying it now. I, I, so think about it and tell me if it makes sense because I just thought about it now. But in terms of the in terms of the uh, the Mashiach Ben Yosef Mashiach Ben David, it's like the the issue is that Yaakov has two first ones, one from Rachel, one from Leah. Each one, in a certain sense, like deserves to play the role of leadership because they both have the status of Bechor. Are you calling Yehuda the Bechor of that? He becomes the Bechor because that's what it says. He's that the fourth you know, born, that yeah, okay. Reuven loses it. Right. right? Levi got something oh, else. Yeah. Shimon lost it. Levi got, lost it also because of Shechem. So it, was, it fell to Yehuda. That's what it is. So Yehuda is the representative of Leah. And uh, Yosef is the representative of Rachel. And then and so the idea that there would be Mashiach ben Yosef, even though it's, it's a disputed idea, I mean, the Rambam doesn't even mention it in, the, uh, in, in Hilchot Menachim, it's mentioned in the Gemara and Sanhedrin, and a lot of Midrashim bring it, that there's a transit, that basically Mashiach ben Yosef will usher in the time, the transition, right? 
and Mashiach, which fits with this, this idea maybe, and Mashiach ben David will be the final, the final uh, destination, which would fit with this idea in general of the transition versus the permanence. This is not my question. Right? Um, but, um, right, but the, uh, it's on top, it's on topic. The Rambam also says, some of the Chachamim say, some say that Eliyahu Anavi is going to come back. He's very skeptical about any of the claims about what's going to happen. Anyone we just have to wait and see. They're on the central board. He's like, well, he, he addressed me. And since he addressed me, I'm allowed to answer Robert back. Robert's rules of order. And then I'm supposed to have a question. So I've been to a few of the Vayots where you make a comment at the cemetery about, uh, you know, we'll see this person again. We usually address the family. I've heard you say a few times. She had the So I always want to know what you have in mind. Are you saying it just consolation? Is there some truth that you're alluding to? It's one to? of the Ikarim, Tchiat uh, the the idea, I don't Who know, says the Ikari when we're studying? You just got here. We, 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 <laughs> we, we did believe, this already. We yeah. believe in the Ikari, that's it. Is, that, like, is, that, is it Ikari to believe in the Ikari? The Gmar, what do you mean? The, that's like, that sounds like something that Barbanel asks. <laughs> he says, uh, every Pasuk is an Ikari. How, how can you have 13 Ikari? But the question is, uh, how do you know you have to believe in every Pasuk without Ikari? Oh, whoops. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm assuming it's deliberate. We, we never try to study that which is not relevant to us. The idea of afterlife in Alamabad, nobody right. knows, and it's a futile, almost a futile topic. Not futile, but there's a limit. There's a limit. It, it's. So we're never going to reach conclusions, but. It's a waste of time talking about a past saying that it exists. Meaning, right. trying to trying to explain what it is. I just make sense of it. Yeah, because you don't understand. Yeah. How I don't have any practical ramifications in our lives anyway. Mm-hmm. But uh, the idea of any kind of reunification of souls, it, it's very comforting to think. Who said it's about reunification of souls? Right. I'm really I'm saying. really talking about tchiat amitim when I when I say that. When David says, he means I'm going to die. I'm not sure that he what, what he's referring to in, in that passage. But so yeah. when you go to Rabbi Yitzchak, you know those, the, the most comforting thoughts are usually the ones that we want to believe are true. Mm-hmm. So we are. So I really do want to believe that my relationship with my children is something that will last beyond this ephemeral world. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything to support? There's such a thing as tchiyat medim, isn't there? It's yeah, not very great. What mean. that means, though. Right, meaning uh, we don't have to understand exactly how it's going to work, but the idea of Tchiyat Abedim is definitely one of the fundamental ideas. What, what is it? Uh, it's actually in Sefer Daniel at the end. It says, uh, in the end of Sefer Daniel, it mentions uh, Tchiyat Abedim also. What, what, does that, what does that mean to give life to Like, Look, we don't understand exactly how it's going to work, like I said, but the Rambam... But the, we believe that the tzaddikim will come back to life in the world. It's a miracle. That's Wait, oh, just tzaddikim? Yeah. Tzaddikim? It's only for tzaddikim. What, what's the, what's the source it. text for it? Like, what's the language? <laughs> what? what's, what's the language that we... It's in Sefer Yechizkel. It's in Sefer Daniel. Well, what's the It's towards the end. It's towards the end. Yeah, it's towards the end. That's a... That's a bracha. We trust yeah. you that you... You will. It's yeah. in the future. You're saying you have the power of life and death. To give, to give life to the Mitzvah. Specifically, it can't make sense. How do you know the 20th century came? That really bummed me. What do you mean? The Chazal say? They say that it says, 
that Gishamim is greater than Tchiyat HaMetim. Why? It says, Yom HaGeshem is greater than Tchiyat HaMetim. Because Geshem comes for the Tzadikim and the Rishayim. And Tchiyat HaMetim is only for Tzadikim. It doesn't say that. He has the power to do it. It's physical time to It sounds like it. Would it be a spiritual somehow Tchiyat HaMetim? This was a Pretty much every... Every text about Chiyat HaMetim could be interpreted as a metaphor. Except for really the one, except for Daniel. It's obviously literal. But the Rambam wrote a whole piece. The Rambam was accused of not believing in Chiyat HaMetim, even though he says, that it's one of the Ikarim. I don't know why they, you know, the Rabbat says, this person sounds like he doesn't believe in Chiyat HaMetim. It's like... He says it's one of the Ikarim, and he writes that you have to live in Tchiyat HaMetim. I don't know why you would get that. <laughs> but um, he wrote a whole thing, Mama Tchiyat HaMetim. Yeah, that sounds like a The Rambam wrote an entire treatise called Mama Tchiyat HaMetim to explain why he does believe in Tchiyat HaMetim. Treatise, not treatise? Whatever it is. Yeah, whatever. I thought it was just, but I don't know. The, uh, yeah, the Jordan knows and nobody else knows. Treatise. 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 Whatever. Okay, a book. It's yeah. not a treatise. 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 We should ask that kid from London. Okay, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you were so weird. What's now? the actual? What's the you were so weird. <laughs> We all got googly eye right. Oh, yeah? Like, 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 you there, didn't like, hear what he said. Like, he got a beautiful wow. accent. <laughs> what? <laughs> he started talking, and we were yeah. all like mesmerized by his accent. He was so freaked out. He had no idea what he said. No one listened to the way he said. He got scared. He got so funny. He like stopped. He's like, okay. I don't get it. I don't get it. Moshe, this is the end of Sefer Daniel, it's at the very end. No spoiler. Yeah, but that's it's special. the only place. There were, there were, there were a lot of people, there, not a lot of people, there were some of Farshim that wanted to interpret Chiyat HaMetim in most of the other books as being a metaphor. And that's why, and, and because if you read like Yechezkel, the dry bones and all these different nivuot, you can understand it as referring to the, I don't know, the uh, no, no, the revival of the Am, Am Yisrael from the death of the Galut. You know, you can interpret can it in this way. Read it and actually, like in a way, it can even kind of sound like uh, like a metaphor. But the one in Daniel is is pretty clearly literal. No, it doesn't mention that here, but it says that the that that's what the thing is. So there's two ways of of of, of reading it. The question is whether the people. Uh, meaning, does that mean the ones who are good will be the chayolam, and the other ones will never will, will just be dead permanently? They won't be brought back. Chazal understood that it, that's what it meant. I mean, they said that only the tzaddikim. Like, have can you, can you, sorry, can you I have a hard time believing it's a physical. It says admat afar yakitsu. Many of those sleeping in the dust will come out. Yeah, they're, they're gonna wake up. Hey, did you ever see the thriller video by yeah, Michael Jackson? Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's it. Yeah. So, uh, so, I can hold on to my pipe dream. Uh, I, I don't. As it's it's one of the Ikarim of Tchiyat Amitim. Uh, we don't know who a tzaddik is. Don't assume you know yes or no. 
You might think a person is a tzaddik and they're not. You might think they're not and they're not. Really bum me out. The Chazal always say tzaddik. It's for tzaddikim. Everybody agrees that. Do you believe everything comes from Chazal? Which Russia do you really want to The fundamentals. No, it's making good points. Parents, grandparents. How do you know they're not tzaddikim? But how do you know they are? You don't. You don't know, but you shouldn't assume. Shouldn't assume. It's going to be such a bug out when you see who came out. Who didn't like, is he, I, I was really looking forward to seeing Bob. <laughs> <laughs> I, knew, I knew he wasn't right. I knew it. I knew he was no good. He, he was a pretender. We were we all we judged were, him yeah, wrong. Yeah. We judged him we were, wrong oh, the whole time. He was a perfect citizen. Why are we talking yeah, about this? Three piece sukkahs for sure. Because it's happening soon. He's donated over hundred million dollars to Sadaqah. What about the guy that Moshe gave money to out of sight of Mafaneman who was bringing it to the yeshiva on the cash? <laughs> and he only wanted cash. <laughs> Unmarked bills. Unmarked. <laughs> All right, so it's a good time to stop because we should all go to bed. So we get up tomorrow for nets and we get on time for the first time.